is from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. That's 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, and it is on page 1195. That's 1195. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, Descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being changed like a criminal. But God's word is not changed. Therefore, endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. trustworthy saying if we died with him we also will live with him if we endure we will also reign with him if we disown him he will disown us if we are faithless he will remain faithless he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself keep reminding God's people of these things Warn them before God against quarrelling without words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. This is the word of the Lord. Chapter 17. It's on page 1051 in the Church Bible. Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Hope you can hear me okay, yeah, is that good? All right, I'm just going to stand next to the long life milk. (laughs) Might make me younger. (laughs) Let's pray, shall we? Father God, it is so good to be here on this Harvest Sunday. We thank you so much for who you are and all that you give us. Open our hearts, Lord to what you would say to us today. 
challenge our spirits, our minds, our attitudes. Be Lord over all that we are as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it a beautiful day? I went for a run really early this morning along the river, and it was absolutely stunning. There was mist everywhere along the river, and loads of bird life flying around. It was just wonderful, and I just thought, what an awesome creator we have who provides not only for us, but for, for everything in creation. And it's just lovely that we can bring the fruits of that here to help other people. So thank you for all you've brought today, and it was really good to see that food bank video, wasn't it? And just realize what they do there and how they serve the community. It's fantastic. So it is harvest, and it is a high point, isn't it, in our church year. A festival. Festivals are meant to be celebrated, aren't they? So we, we have been celebrating. We should celebrate more as we gather around the Lord's table. Harvest is a time of giving back to God by loving others relationally, but also loving others practically, which we are doing here with the food bank gifts. Harvest should refocus our hearts and minds on the needs of other people and also refocus our hearts and minds upon our creator, on his faithful provision to all of us as his humanity. Now, the amazing pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. It is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. But even more importantly, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, given that we're each emotional beings uh, whose feelings do go up and down from day to day or week to week, this would suggest then that gratitude is a choice we're each to make before God rather than a feeling that we have to try and conjure up when we don't feel like it. But why should we rejoice? Why should we um, pray? And why should we give thanks in all circumstances? Because, Paul continues, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what God wants us to do. It's his will for his creation, for his church. In all circumstances, God wants us to cultivate hearts of gratitude. And that might take effort sometimes, but that's what we're called to do. Gratitude, you see, is the heart of worship. It's the heart of worship. You see, we have a lot of stuff, don't we? Stuff in our Western world. We can so easily accumulate lots of stuff, but too much hoarding with not enough sharing and a lack of gratitude can deaden our spirituality. It really can. Having stuff isn't wrong, but an unhealthy focus upon it is. It's a symptom of a heart that's lost its focus on what the main thing is, what we're each designed and created to do, and that is to be worshippers of God, be like mirrors reflecting his glory back to him. That's what we're designed to do. So this morning, I want to talk about gratitude and thankfulness within the context of this amazing miracle that takes place for 10 guys who, because of their condition, had been placed on the margins of their community. Ten guys who each receive God's mercy. And one guy who, because of his heart of gratitude, begins a journey of faith and receives salvation. You'll remember that when writing his gospel to the uh, mysterious Theophilus, 
Dr. Luke wrote that he carefully investigated all the facts before writing his orderly account, before writing his gospel. So I wonder if Luke interviewed this healed leper. I wonder if he did about that beautiful day in his life. Anyway, let's have a look at what's going on here in Luke 17. You might want to have the passage open in front of you. Jesus is, um, is heading to Jerusalem. Okay, We know that um, for some time now, I think since, since Luke 9, he's been setting his face towards Jerusalem. He is going there for a showdown with the powers of darkness. He's going to die for mankind. He's heading through the region that separated Galilee, where he grew up, and Samaria. And we know that Samaritans and Jews did not get on. It was historic. It all went back to the, the split of the kingdom of Israel and to Judah and the ten tribes of Israel. It all goes back to that and where you know, worship was supposed to take place, whether, whether it was at the temple in Jerusalem, whether it was on Mount Gerizim up in the north. Okay? So lots of historic issues there. And he's, Jesus is going through the borderlands. And outside the village, ten lepers approach him, but not too close because they are obeying the law of Moses. You see, they weren't allowed to approach a healthy person. Moses stipulated this regarding skin diseases in uh, Numbers 5. Moses wrote, Command the Israelites, and this was God speaking to Moses, Command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has a defiling skin disease or a discharge of any kind who is ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. Send away male and female alike. Send them outside the camp so they will not defile their camp where I dwell among them. So it's a he pretty heavy deal to have a skin disease of any kind. And then the book of Leviticus details practical instructions about what you had to do if you had one of these skin diseases, like these guys, for which the Bible uses the umbrella term leprosy, okay? So it wasn't leprosy as we know it today. It was an all-encompassing term, but any, any kind of skin problem that you had. Moses wrote in Leviticus, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. And you thought having COVID was bad. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean, Moses wrote. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Wow. But as Jesus travels alongside, along the border between Samaria and Galilee to these guys, his very presence, even at a distance, is like a magnet. It is compelling them to draw closer. And they do, but they still keep their distance. But they, they can't help it. They've got, to, they've got to connect with this Jesus guy. And notice three things. Firstly, they seem to know him by name, don't they? By reputation. Jesus, they cry. Hopefully Jesus is the one who can actually heal us of our disease. And secondly, they call him Master. See, they recognize that he has authority in both the spiritual and the natural realm. Luke uses a, a different word in the Greek from um, what is used elsewhere in the New Testament. It's not the word kurios, which we use for Lord. He uses um, epistates, which is the word for master, meaning someone who has total control, who is the one you know, that you answer to, the one who can do anything, the one who can help you. These guys knows, know that Jesus has a reputation for doing powerful miracles, which is why, thirdly, they cry for mercy, not healing. Mercy. 
as many do in the Gospels who learn that Jesus is passing by. There's many accounts of that, aren't there? Lord, have mercy on me. You see, they know he can do it. They know he can heal them. But they're longing, they're hoping, they're begging that he'll do it for them. How then does Jesus respond? Does he heal them straight away? Like he did when he touched the leper in Luke 5? No, he doesn't. The Luke 5 episode was an incident that took place in a town. A poor leper stumbling into a town when he knew he probably shouldn't have done so. And Jesus is confronted there and then with the guy's condition. Here, Luke 17, these lepers are on the outskirts as Jesus passes by, keeping themselves at a slight distance. So from where he is, Jesus tells them to go and show themselves to the priests. Sounds a bit dismissive at first, doesn't it? Go and show yourself to the priests. Sounds like Jesus isn't interested. Like he doesn't care very much. But then you dig a bit deeper and it becomes clear why he says this. You see, the priests in those days were like your health inspectors. All right? As well as your spiritual teachers, they were your health inspectors. So if you had a skin disease, you had to go and show yourself to them. They, you see, they had the power to allow you back into community. They had the power to say to the rest of the community, these guys are okay now. They can be reintegrated into the town, into the village life, into family life again. Powerful. The community listened to the priests. What the priest said was authoritative. Happy days. (laughs) The fact that they're sent to the priests tells us at first anyway, that these lepers must all be Jewish. This is what the Jewish law required for their own good. Now, if you read Leviticus 14 after Sunday lunch today, you will see there is a long ceremonial uh, cleansing process involved for those with a skin disease. So what we're seeing here, as we study Jesus' response to their cry for mercy, we're seeing a God who cares for the whole person, not just the skin disease. He doesn't mind also being interrupted on his way to Jerusalem. You know, he's focused on Jerusalem, but he doesn't mind being interrupted because he sees their condition. He understands their condition, and he always responds, doesn't he, with compassion and mercy. So they obey Jesus, and amazingly, they're healed as they go. As they head off, they're healed. It's incredible. It's like he says, go to the priest as if you are healed. Act in faith, and the priest will see. And they do. And Luke writes, and as they went, they were healed. They were cleansed. But to begin with, it seems that they don't realize that they're healed. Until one of the lepers discovers that he is. He looks down, wow, wow, it's gone. I'm healed. This is incredible. And it stops him in his tracks. Maybe the others also see that they're healed, but they they carry on. They want to keep going. They want to keep heading to their local priests, to the ones who can pronounce that they are no longer outcasts. They want to get on with their lives again. Not that they've got them back, you know. But the leper who stops, he turns back. For now, the priests can wait. It's not the priests who've healed him. It's Jesus who's healed him. Gratitude, you see, is the heart of worship. And this guy is determined to say thank you to Jesus. 
Now notice he returns to Jesus praising God with a loud voice. Imagine seeing that. This guy running towards Jesus, shouting his head off, praising God, and just looking so happy. Imagine that scene. But more than this, Luke writes that he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Wow. He is so utterly, utterly grateful for what Jesus has just done. Has anyone ever done something so wonderful for you? So wonderful that you, you're just so grateful, but even your best response of gratitude does, doesn't seem enough? Has anyone ever done that in your life? I was reading a, a wonderful story a few months ago, um, and I made a note of it uh, about someone who was so grateful. Now, there was this lady called uh, Nadia Popovici or something like that, and uh, she was an ice hockey fan. And she was also an aspiring medical student. And she um, went to her local uh, ice hockey match in Vancouver to see the Vancouver Kunaks, I think they were called. And um, she was just so happened to be sitting behind the, um, her team's dugout, so about two steps up on the raised, um, you know, raised step, looking down at the ice rink. And um, she was standing behind one of the, uh, the team coaches, uh, and she just noticed he had a, a little mole on his neck that looked cancerous. But she had no way of telling the guy about it um, because of the noise of the match going on and the fact that there's a big perspex screen around them all separating the, the rink from the crowd. So she, she writes a little note on her iPhone and she slams it up against the perspex and she knocks on it and, says, and he turns around and says, what? You've got to read this. You've got to read this. And it says, um, there's a mole on the back of your neck that looks like it's cancerous. You should go and see a doctor straight away. So after the match, he's thinking, maybe I should. So he goes and sees a doctor, and the doctor says to him, yep, um, if you'd have left that any longer, you wouldn't be here in four to five years' time. So he didn't know. He was so elated that he'd got it sorted. He was able to have it removed and everything. But afterwards, he wanted to make contact with, uh, with Nadia uh, to say thank you to her. But he had no way of finding her. She was just someone in the crowd. And, you know, likelihood of seeing her again was minimal. But he got together with the team that they were playing on the day and said, what can we do to try and find this person who saved my life? And they, together, created a, a social media campaign and they managed to track um, Nadia down. And he said um, that he was so utterly grateful for that day when she put the notice against the screen. And she said, it, she, she saved my life. I mean, I, I don't know how she spotted that mole on my neck because I wear a big jacket because it's cold on the ice rink and I wear a radio around my neck, but she managed to see it. Anyway, in gratitude, they were able, both teams, to fund her through medical college. Isn't that awesome? What a wonderful story. Gratitude is just such a beautiful thing, isn't it? There's an echo of this story in Luke 17 in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 5. Do you remember the guy called Naaman? Yeah? He held high office in a neighboring country's army and he had leprosy. Eventually he ends up going to the prophet Elisha's house who doesn't deal with him directly. And that puts his nose out of joint slightly. He's distanced as Jesus was with the lepers here in Luke 17. And so Elisha sends a messenger out to tell Naaman to wash himself seven times in the River Jordan and then he'll be healed of leprosy. Now, 
Naaman is furious at this. Why wouldn't this guy come out and chat with me face to face? Who do you think he is? Doesn't he know who I am? Why is he so distant? What's so important about this piddly little river Jordan anyway? Goodness me. But eventually his stubborn heart is softened and he goes and bathes in the Jordan seven times and is completely healed of leprosy. You know, sometimes we just have to do what God tells us to do. Even if we don't quite understand it or don't at first like the prospect of doing it. We just have to. The lepers had to obey and go to the priests. Now, they were probably fine with that because, yes, it would mean that they would be reintegrated into society. But it was as they went that they were healed. doesn't always happen at once from God, does it? But he does say, go and do this, and we have to act in faith. Dr. Luke, like uh, any good writer, knows how to introduce the killer blow to his readers, doesn't he? What does he write next about that one leper who returns? And he was a Samaritan. He was a, a non-Jew, a dog, a Gentile, and a leprous one at that. He wasn't supposed to associate with Jews at all. But I guess when you're a leper, thrown together with other outcasts to live outside of society like dead men walking, you tend to forget race and creed. Lying in the dust, prostrate before Jesus, he's overcome with gratitude because he knows his life is now changed by the grace of God, utterly changed. The moment he gets off the floor and heads back to his community, there is every possibility that this guy will be able to work again, be able to get married, have a family, play a proper part in the community. He knows it's Jesus who's restored more than his skin. He's restored his dignity and his quality of life as well. It's incredible. And Jesus observes and he poses two rhetorical questions here. Were not ten men made clean? You just see a little smile on his face, can't you? Well, we're not ten men here. But the other nine, where are they? Where are the other nine? You see, in this miracle, there's been 100% healing, but only 10% gratitude. Just one person willing to come back and thank him. And Jesus is a little bit baffled by that. As one commentator uh, simply put it, if people do not give thanks quickly, they usually do not do so at all. That's a lesson for us, isn't it? If you're thankful, say it straight away. Otherwise, you just forget. In gratitude, Naaman returned to Elisha and acknowledged his God in heaven as the only God, the only one. You see, gratitude is the heart of worship, isn't it? And for Naaman... And for this Samaritan leper, their journey of faith began with having grateful hearts for all God has done. And looking down at the Samaritan in the dust before him, Jesus simply says, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And in other translations, it says, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. This word in the Greek, it's uh, sozo, as you you know, meaning to save or to heal. So here on the borderlands between Jew and Gentile and in between two cultures who disagreed about where you should worship God in the temple or Mount Gerizim, Jesus performs a miracle that proclaims to everyone and to this guy, I am the true temple. I am the true place of worship. I am the very presence of God. I am all you need. And I think the Samaritan leper understood this. 
And that's why Jesus said that his gratitude and faith had saved him. Gratitude is the heart of worship. We see this throughout Luke's gospel, don't we? The woman who anoints Jesus' feet with expensive perfume, so grateful for his forgiveness of her sins, Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And to the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, he said to her after she touches his robe, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And the blind beggar by the side of the road who couldn't even see that it was Jesus, in faith cries out, Lord, I want to see. Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's just amazing. So today, it's Harvest Sunday, when we're reminded that saying thank you to God doesn't just lie in words, but in our actions and character. And as you think of that leper and of the stubborn-hearted yet changed Naaman, how grateful are you to God for all that he's done for you? All that he's done in you? How grateful are you? The proof is always in the pudding, expressed in how we make the choice to be grateful as well as just feeling grateful. It will also be demonstrated in our actions towards other people and how we love our neighbours as ourselves as well as uh, loving God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. Worship is a lifelong, 24-7 process of developing in our faith and in our understanding of who God is. So if you're not feeling particularly grateful this morning, start small. Start small. With just a simple thank you to God for something in your life. We can all think of something or someone that we're thankful for. You see, it will be the key to your spiritual growth and life of worship if you start small and make the choice. Bonhoeffer said, it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. It takes time, doesn't it, to develop a grateful heart. Bonhoeffer was, of course, speaking about gratitude for what we have and not focusing on what we want. So what can you thank God for today? rather than thinking about the stuff that we all want. And if there's something you're really grateful for, like that ice hockey manager, then fall at God's feet once again. Do it once again today. Show him in your words, in your actions, how you treat possessions and stuff, your money, your time, your home. Show him how grateful you are with all those things. Lay your life before God in thankfulness as that leper lay before Jesus in the dust, remembering how he's turned your life around and given you salvation and hope. Gratitude is the heart of worship. Amen.